You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Kick is live. It is Sunday night, July 24th, year of our Lord, 2022. You want the most humiliating story of my professional career tonight on this show. You will get the most humiliating story of my professional career because it's less than a week in our rearview mirror. We are jam-packed, high atop, steamy downtown Nashville, Tennessee. The NCAA toast. While they're still here, say your goodbyes. College football kind of being reshaped as we know it. And I know that makes a lot of you quiver, but it could be that all of us are going to get a version of what we want. We're going to discuss that to start the show tonight. Bold Predictions enters Chapter 26 this evening. The Ramen Noodle Express is back tonight. I'm going to keep myself calm on the front end because who knows what kind of emotions that could elicit on the back end. We're going to talk some SEC scheduling accusations. I'll call them myths. Some of you would call them accusations. I'm going to talk about the most unpredictable conferences in America. They're watching us in Herman, Missouri tonight. Yes, they are. They're watching us in Pioneer, Ohio. Portland, Oregon, Corpus Christi, Texas. Hey, what a week we had down in Atlanta. Five SEC head coaches interviewed. I put it out on Twitter. For those of you who don't follow on social, at Late Kick Josh if you want to. But if you don't, man, you made that possible. And we had so many compliments from so many people in our industry. And I don't want to sit here and toot our own horn, except that we don't pay for marketing, so we kind of have to do it ourselves. But that's a joke. The serious part of it is you are the marketing department. You made all that possible. Thank you for that. In return, I'm going to answer a question a lot of you have had for a long time tonight. You know, when I credit director Colin and producer Jesse and you guys say they're not real, they're just you. They're probably some nameless, faceless CBS corporate drones behind the, uh, behind the old wall here. Or maybe you just direct the show yourself. Anybody who knows anything about me knows that's, that's a, a great big false. But you know what I'm going to do tonight for the first time ever? Yeah, we're going to break down the wall, as Chris Jericho would say. I will show you producer Jesse live, standing next to me on this show by the end of this broadcast. For those of you listening on podcast, I will admit, you just need the visual element. But don't worry, a photo of said occurrence will be posted shortly after this show on the socials. It's going to happen all tonight. Ramen Noodle Express is back. Producer Jesse unveiled. It's a bit, we should put this one on pay-per-view, but it's free for the world to see, thanks to Academy. Let's dive into the show tonight. The NCAA, as you and I know it, is going bye-bye. You can wave right now. It's kind of already vanishing before your eyes, but there were two headlines that I'm going to draw your attention to in just a second that really show that process is being expedited. What if I told you something could be happening here where we all kind of win? Now, as you've noticed over the last several weeks to months, even the last couple of years, the current state of football, the current state of college football at least, is such that there are two camps forming on things like the transfer portal and NIL and even conference realignment, but more so the, the former two there. And those camps sound a little something like this. You're either in the camp that screams, oh, this is ruining college football, burn it to the ground, I'm never watching again, or something to that effect. Or you're saying, players' rights, players' rights, players' rights, doesn't matter if we burn it to the ground, players' rights now, players' rights forever. And here's where I've been. I guess kind of more leaning towards the first camp than the second camp, but I, I have no problem with players' rights. 
I also have no problem with tradition and maintaining those things about college football and college sports. I've been very vocal about that. And I think I would say a, a, a slight to a supermajority of the folks who watch and listen to Late Kick probably feel the same way. But there is a healthy amount of room at the table for both. Anyway, what does that have to do with the last couple of weeks? Well, here is the proposal that I have given to you over the last several months, and that is to accept a certain amount of change is inevitable. That's a good strategy for life. But in college football, if we accept that there's a certain amount of change that's just inevitable, then what we can do is we can recalibrate our thought process. That's kind of what I've done with the playoff, for example. I couldn't care less about college football playoff expansion, but if you tell me or you show me enough evidence that proves playoff expansion in some shape, form, or fashion is inevitable, well then, I don't so much fight it anymore, I just kind of recalibrate and hope for a new version of best case scenario. Well, I'm not talking about the playoffs here, I'm giving you an example of the way I've chosen to think about this. When it comes to the future of college football, you know as well as I do, because we've talked about it a lot on this show, there are a lot of folks worried out there. You are among them, I'm among them, a lot of folks who care greatly about this sport, we count all of ourselves amongst the crowd that's been worried about the future of college football. We don't like people, as I've been saying, who couldn't so much as tell you what the mascot of Arizona is, coming in and reshaping our sport, for the worse, in our opinion. Uh, those being TV executives, high-level mustaches, etc. And that's happening, but I want to direct your attention a couple of directions tonight. Redundant, I know. If I am to suggest to you that we recalibrate our expectation level to account for inevitable change, then I want you to think about two headlines this week. Because there were two different headlines as media days were going on down in Atlanta that grabbed me and they led me to believe we're a lot closer to finding a middle ground that we can all live with than anyone realizes. Because I think right now it feels like we're just teetering on the ledge and the slightest breeze could push the entire sport down an embankment we'll never get it back. And I'm not saying there aren't some dangers and pitfalls out there. And I'm not saying what I'm about to present will make everyone happy. If you're an Oregon State fan right now, the fact of the matter is the future does not look great. Absent, you know, some, some pretty fundamental shifts in the current direction. No, I can't, I can't sell you that the future is going to be just as peachy for you as the past has been. I can't sell you on that. I wish I could. I can't. But maybe the majority of college football fans, I can sell on this. So. Here's the, here's the billion dollar question that's been on the table. Remember, the camps out there. You're either for maintaining tradition or you're for players' rights and there's not a whole lot of in-between that's presented. Well, let's talk about the in-between tonight, shall we? You and I have longed for the day where someone puts in front of us a proposal that players are able to cash in on, but also the traditions and the foundation of college football is able to be maintained and in some cases, even restored. Now that sounds very unicornish. Doesn't sound like it's reality. It's very utopian or idealistic in nature, right? Well, that brings me to this week's headlines. Headline number one, as we were down at Media Days, Dennis Dodd, I knew, I knew when I saw him scurrying around and he was on his eye Dodd all morning on Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember which one it was, I knew he had something cooking over there. And sure enough, by the end of the day, he had banged out an article and the headline sounded a little something like this on CBSSports.com. NCAA set to support allowing unlimited transfers. Doesn't that sound like an abject, disastrous mess on the surface? I know a lot of you thought so because I saw you tweet at me. I saw you in those Instagram DMs. I saw you in the comments section. I listened to talk radio driving around Atlanta. I know what you thought. 
Just bookmark that for a second. Because I can tell you when we were talking to coaches that day, like I can tell you, I watched Dennis Dodd confront two coaches. Well, not confront, that's the wrong word. He, he presented them with that news as it was happening. So I had a pretty unique vantage point. I was able to watch Dennis tell a couple of coaches, a couple of SEC head coaches who were unaware that that was happening. He walked up to him and said, hey, you have any comment on the NCAA and how they're about to allow unlimited transfers or they're going to advocate for a rule that just allows unlimited transfers. And those coaches, it, it was like someone slapped him in the face with it. They were unaware it was happening. And I was able, for the first time, I guess, to see someone's raw initial reaction to it. It would not surprise you a great deal to find that they were less than thrilled with the concept. Now, they had more important things that day to worry about, so it's not like there was a 30-minute conversation that ensued. But I think a lot of fans felt the same way. Your initial go-to in your mind is, if we allow unlimited transfers, aren't kids just moving every year? Well, the short answer may be yes, if, if everything is as is, if status quo is maintained right now. But I am here tonight, friends, to suggest to you status quo may not be maintained for very long. And this could end up, how crazy did this sound? Unlimited transfers being supported by the NCAA could actually help the cause of those of us who want to maintain a traditional foundation of the sport. That makes no sense on the surface. I know it doesn't. That's why you're going to have to follow me here. Headline number two, a little bit later in the week. And this was from ESPN, I believe. And it sounded a little something like this. Big Ten Players Group meets with Kevin Warren, Big Ten Commissioner. They demand a share of media rights revenue. So not only do you have the NCAA in Indianapolis all of a sudden advocating for unlimited transfers, they must be off their rocker, but then you got this players group. It sounds like a union to me, even though they were careful to say, no, we're not a union. We haven't unionized. But they're looking to collectively bargain, aren't they? And they're looking for a share of a soon-to-be massive billion-plus-dollar media revenue pie that the Big Ten is going to enter into. And you can bet your bottom dollar this is coming to the SEC very soon. A lot of people freaked out about that. You know what I did? I had an ear-to-ear -ear smile because now I can tell you how both of those overlap in what could be a very good thing for the overall direction and structure of college football. So I sent you, uh, Producer Jesse, soon-to-be-seen Producer Jesse, a quote earlier today. Do we have that quote board? Because there was a specific, look at Dennis. Uh, there's a specific part in this article from Dennis Dodd about that players group that met with Big Ten representatives. And I want you to listen. If you're on podcast, listen closely. If you're watching on YouTube, you can read this. This is from the Dennis Dodd article. With a new Big Ten television rights deal imminent, the thinking is there would not only be enough money to share with players, such an arrangement could even give the Big Ten a competitive advantage over other conferences. Well, it may give the Big Ten a competitive advantage over every other conference except for one down south. I read that, and I think if the Big Ten did this on Monday, the SEC would follow right up and react with it on Tuesday. Meaning, if we ever have a world where the Big Ten is entering into a collectively bargained agreement with their players that they're going to divvy up a share of that massive media rights deal, oh, it'd give them a huge advantage. And the SEC would do it the next day. So there would be no long-term advantage, but you would have seen the two major power conferences enter into media revenue sharing deals with their players. And you know what that brings me back to? It brings me right back to what we've said on Late Kick for a year. 
you don't stop the flood of transfers by litigating it. You don't stop. I've said this on this show for a year. You will not stop the flood of players into the transfer portal by passing a rule against it. You will stop the flood of transfers by collectively bargaining with the players who are transferring. You, as a conference, still have the power if you're the Big Ten of the SEC because you've got the chief bargaining chip. And that is that huge media rights deal that you as a conference have entered into or are about to enter into. Those players want a cut of it. They'd be more than happy to listen. They'd be more than happy to come to the table, but you gotta come to the table too. You know what else you can do? To stem this complete mess of recruiting inducements that are being masked as NIL deals right now, you know how you can greatly alleviate that as a problem? You can collectively bargain and you can let players know who are right now being drawn to universities for ten dollars or $15,000 in illegal inducements per year, you're going to get thirty dollars or $40,000 per year just for playing in the conference. Now, that doesn't completely alleviate the problem. But if I know that I'm growing up disadvantaged right now, $15,000 means everything to me. If I know I'm getting thirty-five dollars or forty dollars minimum just for playing in your conference, all of a sudden, the, the amount of money that used to lure me somewhere no longer lures me. And the overall concept of NIL can still stand freely. NIL is supposed to be you cashing in quite literally on your name, image, and likeness. If I'm a star player, I'm still getting deals with all kinds of companies anyway. But what's not happening anymore is kids who otherwise would not demand that market value being drawn with illegal inducements in recruiting because that amount of money is no longer as appealing because they're getting that amount of money regardless as long as they're playing in the Big Ten or in the SEC. Now, here's the pushback on this. Twofold. One, can you get away with that when it comes to Title IX? That is a great unknown. I do not possess the answer to that tonight. I do think there are a lot of people who are billed by the hour who are working on that as we speak. The second question is a, is a laughable question. And that is, did you just throw out thirty-five dollars or $40,000 per player per year? Yeah, I sure did. Well, Josh, do you have any idea how much that is? This is not, this is not soccer. There are 85 scholarship players on this team. And that's where late kick stats and info comes in. Because I have it on very good authority that if we go on the high end and we give each player on your 85-man scholarship roster per year 40 grand, it comes out to, carry the four, add the seven, $3.4 million per year. You know how much these universities are going to be making every year just as a result of these new media rights deals? Estimates? have every Big Ten and SEC university cashing a nine-figure paycheck per year, over $100 million per year, just for being in the right conference. There is no one watching this tonight that is about to tell me you can't afford to pay players even 40 grand a piece per year. You could argue with me that you don't like what it represents. That's a separate conversation. But you are not going to argue with, you could even argue with me they're not worth it. They don't demand that. That's not their natural value. We could have that conversation. What I'm telling you is I'm looking to enter into a world, because I understand change is inevitable, where there's a table and there is collective bargaining going on. And you know what can happen in exchange for that 40 grand a year? Whatever figure you come up with. I just made 40 grand up. But if you are putting that on the table, you're not putting that out there condition free. You're putting 40 grand on the table per player per year, and in exchange, you're turning that piece of paper around and you're saying, you're about to sign this piece of paper that locks you into a university for two years minimum, if not three years minimum. Now, if you want to hop in the transfer portal every year, that's fine, 
but you're not getting that cut of revenue. That's how collective bargaining works. You give and you get. It's not just ask, ask, ask. It's not demand, demand, demand. You get your demands met and then you meet some of their demands. That's where we're headed anyway. Whether you wanna uncomfortably get there, kicking and screaming over the next five to 10 years, or you wanna do it right now, to me is the only two questions that exist in the room. I'd just much rather get there right now. I'd much rather face reality, especially with the two power conferences that are gonna have this kind of stroke at the table. I'd rather watch the Big Ten and the SEC face reality and say, look, we wanna stop this flood of transfers. Let's collectively bargain with them. You know, we wanna stop illegal inducements or greatly reduce them in the NIL recruiting game. Well, let's make $15,000 irrelevant because we're offering each player $35,000 or $40,000 a year as part of their cut of this media rights deal that we're signing. We can give each one of them 40 grand a year. And it's still, what in the world? We're talking about three to three and a half percent per year of our overall take. You're making over $100 million a year. So I think this is gonna happen. I have said for a year, the big player in this is, has, and always will be the ability to collectively bargain and using media revenue sharing as the carrot on the string. That's it. That's, that's what it's gonna take. So that's where we're headed. I don't know how long it's gonna take to get there, but I am telling you, whereas it sounds like it's a great big mess, how else are you gonna stop unlimited transfers? How else are you gonna stop the NIL basic pay-for-play structure that exists in recruiting right now? You still got the power. If you're the SEC in the Big Ten at least, you still got the power. You've still got the ultimate bargaining chip. What are you gonna do with it? Academy Sports and Outdoors, let us go on the road this week. No questions asked. You want to go on the road? Fine, go on the road. Take the show to Atlanta. Uh, that wasn't free. was for us, though, because Academy Sports and Outdoors takes care of us. They got our back. You didn't have to pay a dime for any of those shows because Academy has our back. In fact, you will never have to pay a dime to watch anything we do. I have, at various points in my career, talked to various forms of management about putting certain portions of the show behind a paywall. And I always shot it down. And Academy shoots it down too. They make that irrelevant. That's, that's a non-starter for us. Everything about Late Kick is free because Academy Sports and Outdoors is our exclusive partner and they make it so. They are your one-stop shop for all of your outdoor sporting goods supplies. Academy.com, or as one of you called it today, Academy Online, which to me is the greatest thing that America has seen since America Online. Who, who whomst amongst us remembers your AOL screen name, by the way? Colin, do you remember your, we'll talk later. I bet Colin had a really creative AOL screen name, but academy.com. If you can't get there in person, academy.com is your one-stop shop. Just know you're going to the greatest store on the face of the earth. You're getting the greatest products on the face of the earth. And I may be a little biased. I think you're helping the greatest college football show on the face of the earth. We're at least top 20. Let's be, we are at least ranked amongst the other college football products out there. Thank you to academy.com and Academy Sports and Outdoors. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right we continue tonight bold predictions chapter 26 basically we have aggregated everything over the past couple of months that you claim you believe in so much that you would bet your own hard-earned money on and here's the first one for tonight Hendon Hooker, who we shared some time with at SEC Media Days, Camden said Hendon Hooker will be a Heisman finalist by the end of the season. I made this one an eight. It's not doubting Hendon Hooker. It's just really hard to be a Heisman finalist. I have producer Jesse tell me he's about sixth or seventh when it comes to the way quarterbacks stack up in the overall Heisman odds. Now, the Heisman odds are really weird right now. If you go to various books, you could find him at plus 4,000. You could find him at plus 6,000. So... I would, I would very, very much encourage you, if you're going to shop the Heisman market, do just that. Shop the Heisman market. Don't just trust one book. So we need two things to happen for Hendon Hooker to win the Well, to be a Heisman finalist. We need Tennessee probably to hit their over. They're over under seven and a half wins. I think we need them in that nine win range in order for Hendon Hooker to be in the conversation. Also, he's got to be playing at a level where they are winning nine games. So that kind of goes hand in hand. He needs better numbers this year. And he had really good numbers last year, but we are talking again about getting him to New York City. And so if you look at what it normally takes to get a quarterback there, he probably needs about 1,000 more yards passing than he had last year. Now the touchdown to interception ratio is good, but he probably needs five to 10 more touchdowns. Probably needs to be closer to 40 or 45 than he is 30. Otherwise, numbers are good, man. Numbers are really good. It just goes to show you, even with as good a year as he had last year, he needs that much better a year this year to be a Heisman finalist. Also, you've got to respect the quarterback landscape out there. Even in the SEC, there are a lot of good quarterbacks down here this year. But then you've got guys nationally, you know, like C.J. Stroud. What kind of year is he going to have? What kind of year is Bryce Young going to have in the SEC? Is there room? How much room do we have? And sometimes that's a zero-sum game, especially when it comes to Heisman tabulation. So I went with an eight here. And I don't think that's really lofty because I think it was a six or seven, even for Bryce Young, and the guy won the award last year. It's just hard to do it. It's hard to be a Heisman finalist. Next up, we're going to the Pac-12. Mike said, Utah will beat USC by double digits this year. Now, both of these teams, Utah and USC, they have over-under preseason win totals of nine. They are both plus 200 to win the Pac-12. So Vegas looks at these teams 
and they pretty much see identical preseason profiles. The game is at Utah this year, so Utah has that going for them. There was really interesting preseason action when this line came out. I think USC opened as a favorite, and it kind of fluctuated. So I think what Mike has in his mind, that a lot of us still do, is last year. Because there were really three types of games that fit this profile. They Obviously, they being Utah. They played USC last year. They beat them 42-26. Check one for the double-digit win. They played Oregon twice last year, did Utah. And they beat them 38-7, double-digit win. And 38-10 in the Pac-12 title game, double-digit win. So basically, every game that kind of was similar to this when they won by double digits last year, the, I guess the world, and me included in the world, wants to know how different USC is this year. Because there are two different, two different paths you could easily see this game taken. The first one would be a world where Utah just so thoroughly owns the line of scrimmage, it looks like the Oregon games last year. And even though they're not bombing away and they're not throwing for 550 on you, over the course of four quarters, they lean on you and lean on you and you break. Listen, that wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. A whole lot of flash, but maybe not as much meat and potatoes on that USC team year one. That, I don't think that'd be stunning to Lincoln Riley. I mean, he's been pretty outspoken about how there's still a work in progress, especially along the lines of scrimmage. But there is another world. And the other world is they've done an adequate enough job retooling via the transfer portal and the offensive firepower they have makes it impossible for Utah to get any margin on them. Even if Utah were to win, probably be a closer game. Or there's the alternate universe within Scenario B where USC just wins the game. So because of that, I made this a seven. It's not hard for me to see Utah winning the game, but the double digit, that's where it's stretched a little bit, but it's only a seven. I respect, the, I respect that Utah team, and I saw what they did last year. Love to see them play Florida week one. Love that. Uh, next up, this one's pretty bold too. Chris said Oklahoma. They're going to go 11-1. and one. They'll make the playoff, and, ooh, important follow-up here, they will win a semifinal game. Now, so far, they're 0-4 in that spot. So this would be the first playoff game that Oklahoma has won. One thing you've got to love here for this Oklahoma team period is you got to love the combination of Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy. That is, quarterback via the transfer portal, and, of course, the new offensive coordinator came in by way of Ole Miss. Another thing, if you look at their schedule, that you have to like is their three toughest games in conference are Baylor. They get them at home. Texas is a neutral site game, obviously, and Oklahoma State's at home. So they don't face any of their three toughest opponents in a true road setting. Now, having said that, they do go to Nebraska, they go to Iowa State, they go to West Virginia, Texas Tech, they head out to Cactus Country. If you know, you know, and uh, most of you don't, but, but Texas Tech has been on fire as of late. 11-1's uh, tough here, but 11-1 is doable. It's just that you added in the caveat, they're going to go 11-1 and, and they're going to win a playoff game. And so when you marry those two things, I have no choice but to go with an eight here. Because I think about 11 and 1, and the over would hit. I think their over under is 9 or 9.5. So, you know, that, that's doable. I mean, Oklahoma's a very good program. But when you talk about getting to a playoff type setting, and you may face Bryce Young in Alabama, you may face a Georgia or maybe a CJ Stroud in Ohio State, do I trust that they have the offense to respond? Do I trust that? And it's, it's hard for me to say it right now, especially when we're looking this far down the road. So, the 11 and 1. Not the craziest thing in the world, but when you marry it with a playoff win, I got to put at least an eight on the boldness scale there. Next up, uh, we were running numbers on this next one because I don't, 
I don't know how this was possible mathematically, but you know what? Let's give it a go. Connor said, Alabama will not have a single thousand yard receiver this year, but Bryce Young will nearly match his production from a year ago. Bryce Young won the Heisman last year. He threw for uh, nearly 4,900 yards. So we were busy. I mean, we had to break out the calculator. Like, literally, how do you do this? How do you throw for that many yards and not have a single 1,000-yard receiver? Best we can tell, you would need about seven guys to receive about seven or so hundred yards, but none of them really break through. Uh, Bryce Young last year, he threw for 303 touchdowns in 10 games. At least three touchdowns and 300 yards in 10 games. I ate 47 to 7 touchdown interception. So you remember all the numbers. He won the Heisman. They had two of them last year go over 1,000. That was Jamison Williams and John Mechie. Big prayers out to John Mechie today. A form of leukemia. For those of you who missed that, uh, released from the Houston Texans today. I mean, John Mechie is one of our guys. So we're pulling for John Mechie. He'll pull through that. Uh, but that was tough news to see today. He was a 1,000-yard receiver last year. Jamison Williams was a 1,500-yard receiver last year. They're going to have at least one. Or, or either Alabama's offense falls off a cliff. But there is no world I see where Bryce is matching that production from last year and they don't have at least one. Whether it's Jermaine Burton, I'm a big Ja'Cory Brooks guy, uh, but I mean, they've got, Tyler Harrell is the Louisville transfer. They've got, they've got options down there. One of them's breaking through. Or either Bryce is not matching that production. So I went with a 9.5 on this one. That's, that's way too bold for me to see. Last one, I'm going to have a little... Uh, I'm going to have a little helpful reference over here to the side for this last one. Mall Cop 7, big friend of the program, said, Kanata Mumfield puts up better numbers than Jordan Addison. Let me remind you who we're talking about here. Mumfield is a transfer from Akron, and he transferred to Pitt. Jordan Addison won the Bolitnikoff Award last year. He transferred to USC. And what we're saying here is we're just going to plug and play. And we're going to have better production from the Akron transfer than the Bolitnikoff Award winner last year. I made this one a 9.5, but don't take my word for it. Let me read you producer Jesse's review in his show notes that he sent to me. Uh, he sent, to the person who sent this one, CYT. I know a lot of you listen to the show with your children, so I'm not going to let you know what that acronym means. Just figure it out for yourself. Jesse continues. We're predicting that Kanata Mumfield the number 161-ranked player in the portal, will top the stats of the Bolitnikoff winner who caught balls from the only quarterback taken in the first round of the NFL draft in Kenny Pickett. Producer Jesse is not sold. In fact, Producer Jesse's boldness scale was a 10 out of 10. I just went 9.5. So I've got Kanata Mumfield's back relative to the Producer Jesse's of the world. This is not happening. You want me to tell you another reason why this is not happening? It's not anything personal against Kanata Mumfield. Jared Wayne, who for all I know may end up being their number one receiver this year, he caught 47 balls for 658 yards last year. So that's the first thing standing in someone's way of just hoovering up all that offensive production. But the other thing, uh, if you haven't been paying attention, Pitt head coach Pat Narduzzi has been very loose at the mouth over the past week. I don't know what in the world was happening with him up there. I mean, he's on every podcast with over 15 listeners talking about how they they threw the ball too much last year. He took his offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, double crow hopped, and just chucked that body all the way under the nearest bus. Again, go look it up. It's not hidden. It's out there for the world to listen to. And he was talking in the last week about how they, 
mean, they're averaging 10 yards per carry against teams like Wake Forest, and they're still throwing the ball. Well, uh, I took from that, they are not throwing the ball nearly as much this year. I think they're going to run it a lot more. And so I don't think the production will be there to be had either way. Uh, but when you combine both those things, no. This is a 9.5, and if Kanata Mumfield proves us wrong, he just proves us wrong. Let me take a little sip of coffee here, because a big moment is coming up here on the show. The Ramen Noodle Express is back. We have got so many tens of thousands of new followers and viewers to the show that I need to remind you what the Ramen Noodle Express was. Back in my days of local talk radio in Columbus, Georgia, there was a guy that used to call in, ask us for gambling picks, and then he would put the weight on our shoulders that if our picks didn't hit for him, his children would suffer, and they'd have to eat ramen noodles for lunch and dinner for the rest of the week, not him. You know, so we were fighting for his kids on air really more so than we were for him. I, I never forgot that. And I know there are some of you out there that still ride this thing pretty hardcore. So our picks on this show, we have our own model. We have our proprietary information. We don't sell it to anyone. We don't give it to anyone. It's ours. It's on this computer right now. We give out about five to seven picks per week. We title it the Ramen Noodle Express, and it may be the greatest thing we do on this show. But for the first time ever this year, I am debuting the model just a little bit early because I'm giving out four, count them, one, two, three, four, preseason over-under win total plays tonight. I have moved money on all of these in the past 48 hours. Let's start in Morgantown, West Virginia. Our model has West Virginia about 20 spots higher than an aggregation of a lot of the preview magazines do. Now, the preview magazines are good for whatever they're good for. I just use that as a reference because the AP poll's not out yet. FPI is, but it doesn't even get a mention on the show. So we are higher on West Virginia. Their over-under preseason win total is five and a half. So we really like the over, five and a half with West Virginia. This is evenly juiced at Caesars. It's minus 15 either way. So here's the short and long of it. If they make a bowl, we win. That's really, that's really pretty cut and dry. I've got a better feel about them in 2022 than I did in 2021. They won six games last year. They're at Pitt to start the season. And then they go off the radar. I think they play Kansas. Yeah, they play Kansas and Towson. Then they're back on the radar at Virginia Tech. But they made a lot of moves in the transfer portal. And it's really important to note what's around the movers. So JT Daniels, for instance, is the new quarterback there who started at Georgia last year. You know the story with JT Daniels. Well, what you need to know is he's not coming in and playing behind a patchwork offensive line. They've got an offensive line virtually intact. They've got really good weapons for him to throw the ball to. So JT Daniels is not coming in and being looked at by the locals up there saying, all right, JT, carry us. He's just got to play good football. Now, that's a tall ask. But again, the number's not eight and a half. It's five and a half. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and the reason most people are doubting West Virginia, is because they got to replace their entire defensive backfield. And this is just a vibe that I've gotten from there. I, I do think it's valid to be concerned about that. But I don't think that it is necessarily a weakness for them as much as it is a question. So I am betting on this, and I think our model's picking up on this. I don't expect to turn on West Virginia games and look at them just being torched Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. They'll take their lumps, but I think they'll have enough explosivity in their passing game that they'll be able to win some higher scoring games, which hasn't necessarily been the MO of Neil Brown in his first couple of years up there. I think this is the year they make a little bit of a jump. So I love over five and a half for West Virginia. Next up, we got to take an under. Hate to do it. Makes people mad. But we, um, we, we're not in the business of losing money on the Ramen Noodle Express. Ole Miss, 
the model is looking hard at the under at seven and a half. And it's uh, plus juice for us, plus 110. So if we want to go with the under there, there's a very specific danger in the SEC West. And that is a good team is going to end up winning six or seven games because someone's going to have a wobbly tire. And it, I mean, it's kind of like watching Formula One. It's like watching NASCAR. You got cars out there going really fast. And so anyone who even gets loose or has a little bit of a wobble, a little bit of a shake, when you see a car fall off pace with the rest of the pack, they don't have to be going slow. You know, the difference between watching a car go 165 and 195, especially when 50 other cars are going 195, it's glaring. And if anyone has a bumpy tire, has a little wobbly tire here, if anyone starts dropping close games, if anyone's transfer portal additions don't gel and coalesce into a functioning unit, if someone doesn't have quarterback figured out to the degree they thought they were going to have it figured out, someone's going to end up winning six or seven games and, and the under is going to really disappoint somebody because it's going to hit. I just think, and the model thinks, it's most likely to be Ole Miss in the SEC West. So I'm looking at the quarterback position right now, and I know that the day they got Jackson Dart, just like on this show, the entire country said, good for Lane Kiffin. I still say good for Lane Kiffin. I don't think they got anything remotely close to what they thought they were going to get from him out of spring. That's backed up by the team insiders around Ole Miss. So Luke Altmeyer, if I had to bet my money today, is going to be the starting quarterback for them. That's, we don't have fall camp yet, so we, all we have to go on is spring and so far summer conditioning. But I'm saying that to say neither of them, I do feel comfortable saying this, neither of them is Matt Corral. And because of that, I think they're going to have to play a little more complimentary style of football. What I don't think is Lane Kiffin's going to reinvent his offense to be tailored to a, a lesser entity at quarterback. So they're going to, I mean, they're going to live or die with whether they can get adequate quarterback play. And if they don't, you know, and if, if we are looking at a defense that, you know, doesn't magically take a bunch of transfer portal pieces and, and really a, an entire team that doesn't take a bunch of transfer portal pieces and just coalesce into a team, that is the wobbly tire potentially in the SEC West. So because of that, percentage-wise, the model does lean to the under at 7.5 with Ole Miss. Here's the problem. We still got them as a top 20 team. That's just the nature of their scheduling. So they could end up being a 7-5 and five team and end up being a quality program this year, being a quality team this year, especially if those losses aren't blowouts. You know, if it's 31-26, that kind of score, ironically, the score I think they beat Tennessee by last year, that's possible. Next up, you want to call me a homer on this? That's fine. I absolutely am. Iowa State, model likes over six and a half for them. Good for Iowa State and good for me because I was going to bet it either way. Blind. And this is a, look, you're looking at a guy who predicted him to go to the playoff last year. So, of course, if you give me six and a half, I'm taking the over. Fortunately, the model agrees, and I'm not the one who builds the model, so my own biases are not baked into it necessarily. Not totally. Um, 14 spots higher. Our model has Iowa State 14 spots higher than an aggregate of the preview magazines does. Hunter Deckers is the new quarterback there. Because you know they lost a quarterback in Brock Purdy. I don't think a lot of people know who they're replacing him with. Um, Brock, who's got an interesting first name. I just call him Jay Brock. He is replacing Breeze Hall. A lot of people know Breeze Hall's gone. Don't necessarily know who is replacing him. Well, that's who's replacing him. They, I think, and the model thinks, will be top three again in total Big 12 defense this year. So that profile of, or that portion of the profile of the team will not be much different. Uh, here's the difference. The difference is straight up, the model does not think they're going to have a massive offensive drop-off. 
So they played a lot of games last year that were close, that were decided because of turnovers and being on the wrong side of it. And anytime that's the case, when that's baked in, whether you're having to replace a quarterback and replace star players or not, we, we expect a regression, or, or in this case, a progression, back to whatever the, the natural mean would be. We don't think there's going to be a big drop-off for them. And as a result, because Vegas is giving us a number of six and a half instead of seven and a half or eight and a half, we're happy to take the over. Also, keep in mind, we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the show, this is the Big 12, as Dan Hawkins once said. So in the Big 12, it's a knife fight every week this year. Everybody can beat everybody. And so the team that's well-coached and the team that is plus in the turnover margin, which I have a sneaking suspicion they're much more likely to be this year, going to be a bunch of close games. I got to win seven of them. I don't have to win nine or ten. I really, I really like their odds to do that. So Iowa State over six and a half. And the last one just made part of the production staff recoil at the very notion. You know what I'm going to do? Let me take another swig of coffee. Yeah, I'm going to take Auburn over six wins and um, actually bet money on it. Yeah, I'm going to do it. So Auburn over six wins. It's slightly juiced here, minus 130. This was six and a half earlier in the summer. I think Bud grabbed the under at six and a half. Well, we waited to get it to six, and we're going to take the over at six. Follow me here, and I mean follow close, because you're going to have to really believe in this. But the rule with the Ramen Noodle Express is bet them all or don't bet any of them at all. We were Actually, I just mentioned Bud. Me, Bud, and Cole Kublik were standing around a staircase in Atlanta, and Cole Kublik said something. And I, I begrudgingly admit this, but he said something that really inspired my confidence in this bet. He said, what if they start hot? Now, that sounds pretty innocent, right? But if you know Auburn football, you know how important home field around there is. And if you've never experienced the home field advantage there when they've got a lot to play for, I don't know what to tell you. It's, to me, the most valuable home field in the country. I've been to all the big stadiums. I've been in the biggest environments. That place right there, Jordan-Hare Stadium, when there is a lot on the line, is unmatched in college football. It's, it's just insane. I think it's worth the most points in a point spread in true home field advantage of any major college football venue in the country. So the reason I'm mentioning that is because of the way their schedule starts. They don't leave home for like four or five weeks. So they play Mercer this year, San Jose State this year, and Western Kentucky this year. I'm counting those as three wins because if they're not, then this is irrelevant anyway. So let's count that as 3-0, and and then let's try and find our other four wins, three minimum, to get the push. They play Penn State at home in week three. They will be undefeated when Penn State comes to town. Um, cannot adequately prepare Penn State for what they're going to experience. Now, those guys have been in big stadiums before, so it's not going to catch them off guard. It's just that it's also going to be about 94 degrees with, with maximum humidity down there, and you're going to have about 90,000 folks screaming their head off. It will be a very, very tough out. That's going to be a, a, a pick em or a plus two either way point spread. So to back up Cole's point, Look at this. If all of a sudden they start 3-0, you know who comes in there the next week? Missouri. Auburn's a better football team than Missouri. Auburn should beat Missouri at home. You have possibly started 4-0 there. And then you got LSU coming in in week five. To me, for both of those teams, that's kind of a turning point in the season. Because LSU, for all the talent they have, there are a ton of question marks on that LSU team too. And that'll be the first time they're really venturing out on the road into this kind of environment. And that's Brian Kelly. It's really his first time on the road in that kind of environment in the SEC. So the point is, 
if you're going to take a flyer here, if you're going to if you're going to lean more towards the positive, there's a world where Auburn just just fights and scrapes their way to a one, two, three, four, five and zero start. Now I'm not looking for them to go to Georgia and win. I'm not looking for them to go to Bama at the end of the year and win. But if they're sitting there five and zero already, and I only need well counting the Western Kentucky game later in the year, and I'm only looking for one more win to to lock down the push. At which point we're just playing with house money. I mean, they got a game at Ole Miss October 15th. They beat Ole Miss last year. I think a lot of people forget that. They got Arkansas at home two weeks later, coming off a bye. They beat Arkansas last year. People forget that. I mean, people really forget that. Like, Auburn had a down year last year. Ole Miss and Arkansas both had good years. They beat them both. So this is not out of the realm of possibility. Okay? It's not out of the realm of possibility at all. I, and the model, more importantly, actually like Auburn over six. And, and this shouldn't be discounted, the vibe I've gotten from Auburn is, is something that I'm not going to quantify. I'm just going to say it backs up what the model thinks. I would not bet based on vibe or gut. You know we don't do that. But, but I do, I like where the headspace is down there right now. Of course, that can all change with a disastrous half on a Saturday. But yeah, that's where we are right now. Uh, remember, I appreciate so much all you guys being tuned in live. I mean... This is when most people are taking vacation. We got over 2,000 folks watching live. Reminder, please like the video. And 60% of our traffic is still unsubscribed. So the way to change that, just click subscribe. It's free. And then just go on about your life. Let's, uh, I don't know how to tackle this, so I'm just going to do it. Let's, let's pull up the question about SEC scheduling. And um, I'm just going to read it. Okay, here we go. Antonio said, hopefully Nick Saban gets his wish of 10 SEC games per season so his overrated conference can stop feasting on FCS teams to inflate their records. Now, Antonio, on the very, very tippy-top surface, you and I do agree. I'd love to see the SEC go that route, too. And you and I agree, I'd love to see FCS scheduling done away with. However, where you and I are diametrically opposed is claiming that the SEC's overrated and their scheduling is inflated and their strength of schedule is not really all it's made out to be. These statements, just, you know how rarely I use this word, they befuddle me. I get them all the time. It is the weirdest argument that I most frequently find myself in, and that is the SEC strength of schedule argument. And you got to be careful with this thing, because see, here's the trap. When someone argues against SEC strength of schedule, you take it flat-footed because you think they're joking. And the next thing you know, they've, they've gotten you across the jaw four different times with, well, recruiting rankings are overly inflated for SEC teams, which hype them up in the preseason. Then they get overrated in the AP poll. Then, then that means there are more top 25 teams, which means their players get drafted more frequently and they get more preferential treatment in bowl selection. And you're like, I thought you were joking. Are you serious? Do you really believe that? Yes, they really believe that. SEC schedule truthers are out there. And I know a lot of them are in the live chat right now. If you're watching live, watch the live chat. They'll, they'll happily out themselves. They, they, don't, they don't walk around embarrassed about this. They think they got the truth on their side. Here is the best way I can equate this, and there's no way I can do this without insulting South Dakota. I've never visited South Dakota. I really appreciate the interior. I appreciate the heartland. I'm going to suck up to your state and tell you I, I fully intend on visiting there one day only because of what I'm about to say. But there's no other way around this. I think Florida is a better state than South Dakota. I think it's more desirable to live there. 
That's my personal opinion. It is not shared by anyone else in this building necessarily. And so, here's what I want you to picture, because we're big on metaphors around here. I want you to picture South Dakota and Florida locked as states in a debate about which is more desirable to live in. Because that's kind of how the strength of schedule argument goes. When you're arguing that the SEC really doesn't have as strong a schedule as you think they do, and when they put those FCS teams on there, it really devalues their schedule. It makes it easier for them. I'm sitting around like, even with the FCS teams, they're the toughest schedules in the country. Like, that's, all, that's always been my comeback. I could, if, you're, if you got the schedule like A&M's play the last couple of years, I don't care if you're playing Sam Houston, whatever, or, or whatever that college was Dabo talked about. I don't care that you're playing FCS competition because I know what else is on your schedule. Anyway, picture the South Dakota versus Florida debate. There they are. The states themselves have marched up onto the debate platform. And South Dakota looks at Florida and says, Florida is not desirable to live in. And Florida goes, yeah, we are. Have you seen the sunshine down here? Have you seen the beaches? And South Dakota says, you got swamps in your state. And they just dropped the pin. You got swamps down there. You got FCS teams on your schedule. You got swamps down there. And Florida looks back just dumbfounded and said, well, yeah, we, we do have swamps. But we also have hundreds of miles of oceanfront property. We also have a temperate climate. We can actually go outside here in the wintertime. We have sunshine. We have citrus. Like we have, we have a lot of things. And then you get interrupted. And South Dakota just comes right back at you and says, no, but you have swamps. That's it. That's the end of the debate. You have swamps. Well, that's not the end of the debate. Nor is Alabama plays an FCS team the end of the debate when you're trying to discount the overall strength of their schedule. Because here's what else they have. They have Texas A&M. They have Arkansas. They have Auburn. They have LSU. They probably got an SEC championship date against Georgia. And you know what else they have? Here's where rubber really meets road to me. It's obvious Georgia's good. It's obvious A&M's loaded. You know who else they have? They have Mississippi State. They got Ole Miss. And those are the kinds of games, because those teams on average are finishing with like six or seven wins, something like that, that get looked at nationally by people who want to make a counterargument, and they say, why should they get credit for playing six and six Mississippi State? Well, here's why. Because on any given year, per roster, Mississippi State has Sunday players way more frequently than the Purdue's of the world would or way more frequently than Wake Forest's of the world would. Yet sometimes those programs that have more wins than Mississippi State, why? Because someone's got to lose on Saturday in the SEC West. That's why. So I didn't used to believe this argument myself. I used to believe that the SEC was a little bit top-heavy, and then outside of the big dogs, the rest of the conference was no different than the rest of the country's middle and bottom tier. I was wrong. That's wrong. And I can tell you confidently when you go and talk to NFL scouts, unless the NFL is in on it as well, the overall talent level that you're facing, therefore the overall bigger, faster, stronger impact of collisions on Saturday that you're facing, it stacks up. It's just hard to face them. It's, it's not hard when you're playing Georgia because you know they're good. But there are some teams on the average SEC schedule that will not be impressive record-wise that you go against and your training tables are no less crowded on Sunday morning. And it's not the case in some other conferences. Now, I'm not arguing against the Big Ten here. Some people automatically go SEC versus Big Ten. I think the, SC, I think the Big Ten schedule is plenty tough. But there are some other schedules out there. You know, in, in this whole a win is a win, a loss is a loss, you are what your record says you are culture we've, we've developed in college football that are not equal. 
That's why we're, we've never been believers on this show that you are what your record says you are. So, the, I guess when I look at it, I don't like FCS teams being on a schedule, but if, if Auburn were to play, um, I'll pick a team, Alabama State. If Auburn were to play Alabama State and Ohio State plays Akron, to me, there's no difference. One of them is an FBS team. One of them is an FCS team. You're winning by 40-plus. It doesn't matter. It, but yet one gets credit, and, and one gets criticized, and I've never really cared about that. So, no. Um, to answer the question, yeah, I'd, I'd love for Nick Saban to get his way. I guess it wasn't a question, but I'd love for Saban to get his way because I do want more competitive games. I do want a more attractive schedule. But if you think for a second that the overall caliber of SEC schedule deteriorates because you put an FCS team on it. No, I, you, you lose me there. That's where you lose me. Uh, another question here, and by the way, they're watching us in Coleman, Alabama tonight. Defiance, Ohio, as made famous in the hit show Scandal. And Duval, Washington, they're watching us tonight. Let's answer this one right quick. So DJ asked about the most unpredictable Power 5 conference this year. I, I think it's the Big 12, but I'll give you a quick reason for three of them. So in the Big 12... Unlike the, unlike the ACC, the Big 12 does not have a team where you are looking around at the preseason title odds and you see a top four. Like Clemson is top four in national championship odds right now. Oklahoma and Texas are not there. And so OU and Texas, at least in terms of preseason odds now, are viewed to be the cream of the crop in the Big 12. Or cream of the top, as I had someone tell me this week. But... Neither of them are viewed as top four in the overall playoff structure. And I'm saying that to say it could just be wide open this year. It could be anyone's conference. And even if it's not, I mean, there's, there is not a runaway favorite here. There is no Ohio State and the field kind of feel or, or Alabama and the field. That's not the case in the Big 12. Uh, Baylor famously had the second to worst odds to win this conference last year and won it. They're fourth with a plus 650 preseason odds check to win the Big 12. Oklahoma State's up there. Uh, nobody is higher than plus 200 to win the conference. So you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the teams in that conference at plus 2,000 or closer odds to win the conference. I, and that's Iowa State at plus 2,000. So I think that absent Dylan Gabriel really taking over at quarterback or absent Quinn Ewers at Texas really exploding, I think it's a wide open conference and it's very unpredictable. I think the Pac-12 fits this description as well because Utah is the one sitting out there with the continuity. They've got the staff in place. Cam Rising's back at quarterback. A lot of those pieces from last year's team are back. And then USC's got a bunch of newness. And Oregon's got a bunch of newness. And UCLA sneakily is in this conversation, but they still have to accomplish feats that they have not accomplished yet under Chip Kelly. And so the Pac-12 is, is anybody's ballgame, too. It kind of looks on the odds sheet very similar to the Big 12 in that USC and Utah are the co-preseason favorites to win the conference. They're both plus 210. So there is no minus money. There's no even money even to win the conference. The ACC is kind of like this as well, but you would need help. You would need Clemson falling off. And for all the doubt about this team, they've still got the best defensive line probably in college football. And they have... A quarterback in DJ Uyunglele that even if he does not pan out has Kay Klubnik on the bench behind him. So I know that you are tempted to measure Clemson against the preseason title contenders. And if you don't think they match up, you don't think they match up. But this question is about conference. And there's no question still. 
Clemson's got the superior roster in that conference. Now, they had it last year, and it didn't matter. So that's not the end-all, be-all. But I think the ACC, if Clemson were to still be a little wobbly themselves, yeah. Then you can sell me on the notion that the ACC is wide open. It was the most wide open conference last year. So we'll know, we'll know fairly early on. But I would go Big 12, Pac-12, and ACC in that order. This is going to be so much fun. I mean, I know there are so many people in the live chat right now uh, that, that, are, that are experiencing two things. So the first thing I want to tell you, and then I got a bad, bad story to end the show with. It's going to be great for you. It's going to be bad for me. The first thing I want to tell you, as you may have noticed, we have opened the Late Kick store twice, and you have drained it just completely dry twice. So the first thing you need to know is we are opening that thing up again early this week. And that's as specific as I can get because I want to give everyone an equal chance to grab some merch. Hopefully, we'll be able to keep it open longer this time. It, it, very soon, the day is coming where we'll just be able to keep it open. So a few more hiccups to work out there. The second thing I want you to know is I made you a promise earlier today. And that promise was, I'm going to show you producer Jesse. And you may have noticed we're 54 minutes into the show and you had not seen him yet. But I am a man of my word. Not only am I about to show you producer Jesse, when I double clap, he'll come out here because I've got him on a clapper system. I am going to bring producer Jesse onto the set wearing our best-selling shirt from the Late Kick store. So without further ado, producer Jesse walks right on camera wearing the Don't Be Casual t-shirt, which has been our hottest seller in the Late Kick store Pate State, clearly written there, established in 2020, right here on the left nipple, you see it. So producer Jesse has become sort of a model of sorts for our most popular merch. And while I'm happy that this has moved really, really hot so far, I've got some ideas and we've got some shirts, we've got some hoodies, we got some golf polos soon to come that I think are going to move even better than this. So thank you can shoot now. Thank you, producer Jesse. I am a man of my word. That was him in living flesh. Let there be no more question, producer Jesse, as real as real can be. I hate that I'm about to do what I'm about to do, but I've got to, um, I got I to gotta tell you guys a story because I know it's going to get out anyway. So I might as well tell you. Sip of coffee. Yeah. So we were down in Atlanta for SEC Media Days this past week. That much you know. We had Brian Kelly, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Sam Pittman, and Josh Heupel on Late Kick. That much you also know. Very, very, very successful week for us. Here's what you don't know. When we were doing the show Tuesday, I was all set up, ready to go there. We're at the Omni in Atlanta, and it's about 4.50 in the afternoon, and we're going to go live at 5 o'clock. And there's your odds to win the Pac-12, just if anyone's curious. So we are all set to go live. Got about 10 minutes to spare. You know, the crew's getting the final, final touches put in. And Claude Felton, known as the Claude Father in the SEC, just runs the University of Georgia, he walks up and says, hey, uh, are you going to have Kirby on the show tomorrow? And I said, well, Claude, he's not scheduled to be on. I'm going to have Sam Pittman on the show. And the way it was working was the coaches were rotating through our CBS room. And uh, Barrett Salee and Dennis Dodd had been nice enough to let me grab the ones that I wanted for the show. And I couldn't grab all of them, obviously. So if you weren't on the show, it's not because I didn't want you. But we had to be reasonable. But I, I was not going to have Kirby the next day. So Claude said, do you want to get him on the show earlier? And I said, 
I like what we're saying here, Claude. Continue. He said, well, let's, I'll get him out here early. 7.45 in the morning. Sound good for you? And I said, yeah, we'll pre-record it. We'll be good to go. I was very excited because that means we get two SEC head coaches in one day on the show. And so it's all set. We're going to have Kirby right there on our set. We're going to pre-record it. We'll can everything and we'll be done by eight o'clock in the morning. I went up to my room. I'm working on about seven hours of sleep over the past two nights, which is important because of what I'm about to tell you. I was watching the All-Star game, innocently enough, not a drop of alcohol, not a, not a single bit of mischievous behavior that evening. I'm watching the All-Star game in my hotel room. It may be 10, 15 at the latest. And I fall asleep and I never wake up. I got my contacts in, I got the TV on, alarm, it's not set. And I wake up at 8.30 a.m. the next morning. I slept straight from 10.15 to 8.30 the next morning. And when I peeked at my phone and I saw 42 missed calls, it was the deepest sense of dread I have felt since missing a final at Harris County High School because I slept in. And you cannot even imagine the panic that set in in that hotel room. And I called down there and I just told him, I'll be there as soon as I can. And I get to the lobby and Kirby's gone and Claude's gone. And I find out that Barrett Salee had just been an innocent bystander. And he had, he had been there when Kirby and Claude are waiting on me. And he grabbed the interview that he was supposed to get later in the day. So I thought all's well that ends well. I thought, you know, maybe at the time I was unaware of what had happened. Maybe Claude had cleaned it up. Maybe Kirby's unaware of this. Maybe he doesn't know anything. So a couple hours later, he agrees to come back. So we're going to get him. And I have a poker face on. No one knows anything. We're going to be good. And then Kirby peeks his head in the room. And he says, you wait. We good to do this now? And that was it. And I, I broke down, not crying, but the guard went down. And I told him, if I were you, I would not be in this room right now. Somehow, coming off a national championship, Kirby Smart found his, he found it in his heart to let us sleep in on him. We just ghosted him for the interview. We just no-showed him. No explanation, no card left on the table, no nothing. And he still came back and he did the show, gave us one of the best interviews we had all week. But for someone to have come off a national championship and us to lock him down for an interview, which by the way, he's going out of his way to do, and then we ghost him, it is, it's the most embarrassed I've ever been. Professionally, got to be the most embarrassed I've ever been. And I wear the same shirt on air every night, okay? So this is saying something. When I tell you I was more embarrassed for our brand in that moment than I am when it comes to my wardrobe on this show. But we still got the interview done. I don't think he'll let me forget it, nor do I expect him to, but boy, do I appreciate him coming back because it really, it made the show a lot better. And now that I have shared that with you, it can't be held over my head. So I guess all's well that ends well on multiple fronts. Hey, thank you so much for watching the show. We had, as I said, a lot of important meetings and a lot of important interactions this week. We did five shows in a row. Um, that's not something that we necessarily do format-wise, but you made it possible. Uh, just getting started. We got, we got so much planned for the season. There is nothing, um, there are no restraints on the show anymore because of what you've done. So we just, we get whatever we want and we will make it worth your while, all while not changing anything about what you love about the show. So for no longer a stranger, producer Jesse, still an enigma, Director Common. We'll see. I'm Josh Payne. Have a great start to your week. Take care and God bless.
It takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.